0: to a brand new episode of Fanbite News with John Warren. I am that guy. I'm John. Hello. Hope all is well with you and yours. We have a really great show for you tonight. I sat down with Verge reporter Julia Alexander to pick her brain about HBO Max and Disney. But first, we really have to get to our top story. This show, Fanbite News, is almost 24 hours late and therefore I had an extra day to collect stories for my Cyberpunk 2077 cover piece, and folks, what a fortuitous decision that turned out to be. After the official release of 2020's most hyped video game, outlets re-emphasized their reviews of Cyberpunk 2077 were based on provided PC builds by CD Projekt Red, and no access was granted for the console version of the game, which launched on both the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Both of those versions are playable on their respective next-gen counterparts with some optimizations. The souped-up next-gen specific build of Cyberpunk 2077 is due out next year for PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X and S in its current state. Outlets and players both widely noted more crashes and performance issues with the console version of Cyberpunk 2077. Texture pop in, more frequent game breaking bugs, crashes for some at a rate of four an hour, depending on activity. Our own video producer, Ryan Stevens, has encountered 37 crashes in a 27 hour playtime. As of this recording, I've experienced 13 crashes in 10 hours. This rate of multiple crashes per hour seems consistent across PlayStation players I've talked to. CD Projekt Red earlier this week encouraged console users to go through the proper console channels to request refunds after an investor call revealed that they had not spent enough time optimizing this version of the game, and instead focused more attention on the generally well-received PC versions sent to review outlets. The issue, it seems, for this widespread request that players seek refunds through the console holders uh, is this arrangement was not set up ahead of time, reportedly thrusting thousands and thousands of players into the support channels for Sony without any indication from Sony that they would honor these refund requests on digital versions of the game. On Thursday night, Sony took a drastic extra step, releasing the following statement quote: sony interactive entertainment strives to ensure a high level of customer satisfaction therefore we will begin to offer a full refund for all gamers who purchase cyberpunk 2077 via playstation store sony interactive entertainment will also be removing cyberpunk 2077 from the playstation store until further notice once we have confirmed that you purchased cyberpunk 2077 via playstation store we will begin processing your refund please note that completion of the refund may vary based on your payment method and financial institution. End quote." Logging into the PlayStation Store indeed reveals that Cyberpunk 2077 has been removed and searching for the game doesn't even reveal a store page for the game, just suggestions of other similar games. You can, if you already own the game, access it and play it. You just can't upload media from the game to their servers or access the game if you don't already own it. Sony made this announcement in the middle of the night in Poland, uh, but CD Projekt Red did release a statement noting the move was made after discussions with Sony were had, and they released the following statement, quote, The management board of CD Projekt SA with a registered office in Warsaw uh, hereby publicly discloses the decision of Sony Interactive Entertainment to remove Cyberpunk 2077 from PlayStation Store until further notice. The decision was undertaken following our discussion with Sony Interactive Entertainment regarding a full refund for all gamers who had purchased Cyberpunk 2077 via PlayStation Store and want a refund at this time. All copies of the game previously purchased digitally on PlayStation Store remain available for use by their respective buyers. Gamers can still buy physical versions of the game in retail and mail-order stores. All copies, whether digital or physical, will continue to receive support and updates from CD Projekt SA. The management board of CD Projekt SA has decided to publicly disclose this information in the form of a current report due to its potential influence on investment-related decisions. End quote." It appears from CDPR's statement, Uh, that you will still be able to play and even update the game as the team continues to try to fix the widespread issues of the console version. But then again, a lot has changed in the course of a week already. As of this recording, Microsoft has not issued a statement or provided any indication that they will follow Sony's lead on a full removal before issuing refunds. A high-profile game being pulled from a store like this is not totally unprecedented. In 2015, Warner's uh, Batman Arkham Knight was removed from Steam by Warner itself after a disastrous bug-filled launch on PC, whereas the console version was relatively clean by comparison. Warner knew the game wasn't going to fare as well on Windows, but thought it was good enough to release. After realizing they were wrong, they pulled the game and offered refunds. After a hiatus where bugs were fixed by by developer Rocksteady, the game returned to Windows. The Cyberpunk situation is a bit different in that it's the platform itself calling for the removal of the game and not CD Projekt, who had previously implored buyers to actually stick with the game as they roll out patches to fix issues in December, January, and February for the console version. This entire situation... Begs a lot of questions about the certification process on consoles, a process that is obfuscated to the public and doesn't seem to have a set of clearly enforceable guidelines given the uneven nature of releases that ultimately make it to sale. The fact that Cyberpunk 2077 shipped to console with brain dance sequences that were designed to that that were designed in exactly the same way, white and red flashing lights tests are used as a diagnostic tool to trigger seizures and epileptics raised a lot of questions as to how the details of the certification process actually work. Now that a sweeping acknowledgement has been made regarding the broken nature of Cyberpunk 2077 on console, more questions are being begged still. More questions such as how refund processes in general should work. Even though CD Projekt Red put these platforms on the spot, it's unclear as to why it would be so difficult to receive a refund for a legitimately broken digital product. And as for CD Projekt Red, uh, how did we get here? We know about the crunch and the fact that apparently the developer felt no pressure to get the game out on December 10th, according to the same investor call I alluded to earlier. We know that the eight year development cycle uh, did not yield a bug-free release. We know that CD Projekt Red clearly knew the console version, which was never properly shown to outlets ahead of release, was broken. We know the embargo rules they set for press were designed to put their best foot forward, despite having a bunch of terrible feet hiding just behind them in the shadows. I am so sorry to the developers who worked on this project, only to have executives handle the launch in such a way and then provide another series of months and months, it seems, of crunch-filled patchwork. I'm also sorry to folks who bought this game on a console and expected to have some sort of open world fun uh, to play maybe during a holiday break. Um, There are a lot of losers in the story. Uh, Twitter on Thursday night was a lot of fun, though. Uh, CD Projekt already took a hit this week after Taiwanese developer Red Candle Games announced their acclaimed but controversial horror game, Devotion, would be coming to GOG.com. GOG.com is owned and operated by CD Projekt, and on Wednesday morning, they announced via Twitter that after receiving messages from, quote, gamers... Uh huh. They would not be releasing Devotion on the storefront. Devotion was removed from Steam last year after a joke about Chinese President Xi Jinping was uncovered in the game. The game was review bombed under pressure from suspected Chinese bots, and the game was removed from Steam. No other explanation was given from CD Projekt or GOG about the removal this week, but Red Candle Games appears yet again to not have a home for devotion. Um, I don't know, maybe try itch.io or something. Bad week for CD Projekt. Well, 2020 was a year of... Things we would mostly like to forget. But one thing that most of us participated in more than we ever have is sitting in front of a screen and streaming content from the internet to our eyeballs. A true bona fide expert in this domain who's going to talk about two of the emerging players of this landscape is Verge reporter Julia Alexander. Hi, Julia.
1: Hi, John. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. Thanks for being on. I, I, this is such like a, I feel like such a boomer of going to share this story, <laughs> but I, when in 20, ooh, I don't even remember 2012, 2013, when uh house of cards aired on Netflix, I remember being in the, my dev studio office when that was happening and I was just like, Oh wow, they're the stream the streamers are making their own stuff now. And then like never really gave it a second thought. And now the entire world has completely changed and there are a million streaming options to 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 choose from. And I don't know. I just feel old remembering those days.
1: I she like talking to old. people who are like, remember when Netflix had to send you DVDs in the <laughs> <Yeah>. envelope? <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, they, yeah.
0: they send them in the mail and sometimes they were scratched and you had to <laughs> send them back. And yeah, I mean, really old timer, old timer stuff. But um, two of the two of the emerging players are two things that you've written a lot about in your in your newsletter, which we can also talk about later. Um uh, one is uh, Warner Media's HBO Max, which uh, a big story coming out in the middle of this week is that they're on Roku now. And I know the the short answer to these questions is always money. But what was the hold up here?
1: Yeah, so that's a really good question. And to your very good point, the answer is always money. Uh, but there's a couple of different things that Roku – Controls that HBO, that Warner Media, who owns HBO Max, uh, were specifically interested in, and the main things were um, so the percentage of sign-up revenue. So if you sign up via HBO Max on Roku, Roku takes a percent of that. Uh, and the other thing that is less at play now, but will become more of a play when HBO Max launches its advertisement-supported version. So if you guys uh, listening uh, have, have Hulu and it's ad-supported. Essentially, HBO Max is rolling out something similar. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know what the cost will be. But we know that that's their plan for 2021. So the other thing that Roku does specifically is they take a portion of ad inventory, which basically means the advertisements that HBO Max might bring in, or, or Warner Media will bring in, excuse me, Roku would take a part of that and they get to control it and kind of spread it out. And that's a big part of, of their revenue. And uh, so what Warner Media has been fighting for is kind of, They would like to pay as less as possible, give up as less uh, as least as possible in order to maintain um, majority of revenue. And Roku would obviously like to have a pretty good deal on that end because people want HBO Max and they think they can get a lot out of it. Um, And the best thing I can point people toward, if you really want to understand it and kind of want to read it, is what went on with Peacock, which is NBC Universal streaming service that kind of went through a similar thing that Warner Media went through with Roku in, in terms of getting their app on Roku.
0: Interesting and Roku it it owns roughly 30% of like the streaming device market uh, last time I checked and they own
1: a huge part you want yeah not being on Roku is not a good idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so this is a matter of time and obviously the timing is pretty convenient with uh, Wonder Woman uh, 1984 um, that they made a lot of waves recently uh, announcing that their film slate for 2021 will do something pretty different. Do you want to kind of explain their decision making here and explain what they're going to do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the thing to remember with Roku, um, there's a term for this that's an industry term, and I'm going to just break it down because it's a dumb term. But the term for it is reverse carriage dispute. Anyone who's ever had cable... Uh, who's listening, and has been like, oh, I'd really like to watch this local football game, local basketball game, and for some reason cannot because there's a carriage dispute. It basically means that the cable networks are fighting with the carrier. So TNT and or is fighting with Comcast or whomever. Um, and they're fighting just basically, it's a blackout period. They're not going to air this because they don't have the rights to it. And effectively, it's a game of chicken. They're basically going to see who the customers get mad at the most before they realize, ah, we should probably figure out a deal so we can give this back to our customers and start making money again in the streaming wars era a term that uh, is 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 disputed but in the streaming era what happens is that roku and uh, amazon fire tv are now the kind of major players they're the ones who can say well we you want to be on us because we're in people's homes you know google and apple tv as well we're in people's homes and they're how people are watching what your content is. So the content providers are really fighting to get onto these aggregators. And the aggregators have a lot of power. Now, as this relates to Wonder Woman 1984 and going forward, when HBO, when Warner Media specifically announced that HBO Max would play host to Wonder Woman 1984... Uh, on the same day it was released in theaters, effectively what Warner Media was going was was playing that game of chicken a little bit further. It was taking just a little bit more and saying, hey, we're gonna have a movie that everyone is gonna watch on Christmas day. And they if they don't have it on Roku, they might go buy Apple TVs or Google Chrome, um, the new TV devices. They might go out and buy these uh, Apple Fire TV. They might go out and get these things where they can watch the movie and they can't watch it on Roku. And for a while, it seemed like Roku was in no rush. They thought we can get away with maybe one movie we won't have it it's fine at the same time on that same day disney plus was releasing soul which seems like a christmas thing people with kids can sit around and watch or disney fans mm. can watch so they were kind of thinking we're fine it, based on my i have no you know inherent knowledge of these conversations based on my own kind of analysis of the industry sure. um Then what happened, to your point, John, entirely, is Warner Media comes out and says, actually, what we're going to do, because we don't know when this pandemic is going to end, we don't know when people are going to feel like they can go back to theaters. We don't know how mass consumer behavior is going to change. We're going to take 2021 as a write-off, essentially. And we know that we're not going to make the money we should be making at the box office in the United States. So we're going to simultaneously release the movies in 2021, about 17, on the HBO Max the same day they're in theaters. So now you've got Godzilla versus Kong, you've got the new Suicide Squad, you've got Dune, you've got um, a few other movies that they're really excited about. In order for you to watch them if you don't want to leave your house or if you're in a city like New York or Los Angeles where theaters are not open and we don't know when they're going to be open, you can watch them at home on HBO Max. Now Roku's in a position where it's like, well, we can't give up that level of titles. We can't give up the anticipation that people are gonna have for these movies. And we wanna make a deal. So Roku and Warner Media, however they figured it out on their end, come to a thing where it's like days before Wonder Woman 1984 is going to premiere, and you know, a month before 2021 kicks off, and the whole film slate ends up on HBO Max in the United States, anyways. We're going to come to a deal. So that's why you're now getting HBO Max on Roku about, uh, I think it's about seven days or eight days before Wonder Woman 1984
0: hits. Yeah. Tennant and Christopher Nolan's role in this, is that understated, overstated or properly stated?
1: Understated. I think in terms of (laughs) understated in terms of uh, I would argue in terms of kind of enthusiast press, in terms of general press, um, perfectly stated in the trades. But that is their job their Job is to be like, here's how all these things play <laughs> together. Uh, so but here's yeah, the tenants are a really good part of this. So when they released Tenant, Christopher Nolan really wanted a theatrical release, and it was at a moment in time. If you if we can remember, because I feel like time is uh
0: not real anymore, <laughs> it feels, uh, Juliet, that feels like 15 years ago, it
1: feels, point,
0: yeah, yeah, it feels, but yeah, like it, was, it was it was it was what like five <laughs> months ago, so yeah, it's, like, it was yeah, it's insane, like
1: four months ago, yeah. <laughs> it feels like 2014 <laughs> at this point. Um, when Tenant. When it was released, case numbers, although high, were not as high as they were in Mar- uh, March, April, May. Um, And I believe I- – I could be wrong on this, so please go read actual science reporters and scientists on this. But I believe, you know, we're seeing an uptick in, in surges now. So it's surging again. Oh, yeah. There was a brief yeah. window where people were like, maybe – we can start doing things again. You know, Disney World open. There was this moment of like, maybe we can start doing things. And so what, uh, especially, and this is the key point, especially internationally, outside the United States, where governments handled the virus and the threat of the virus better. And so what Warner Media decided was like, we're going to take a chance with Tenet. We're going to see if this Christopher Nolan movie, which is the biggest blockbuster we have of the year, besides Wonder Woman, if we can take this and see if people will go to theaters. And internationally, it worked they re- they they saw about 302 million dollars internationally which is not a great it's not what pre-pandemic times would have been mm-hmm. but for a pandemic era and for a movie like a uh, tenant which is not a marvel movie it's not a star wars movie but it's a christopher nolan movie it's pretty good they're they're pretty pleased with that domestically which is a huge market and as a market where L- los angeles is not playing new york is not playing a bunch of other cities and states are not playing uh, the movie only grosses $57 million domestically, which leads to this kind of decision that Warner Media makes, which is we're going to release these movies in 2021, again, about 17, and I would argue about four that people might really go out and pay to see Um we're going to release these internationally and those movies are hopefully going to perform the way we kind of want them to overseas or the kind of in a post you know sorry in a current pandemic era the way that we think that they'll perform and in the u.s where the 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 major interest of warner media not just warner brothers which is the studio but warner media this parent company the main interest is developing hbo max uh ceo of warner media jason uh Kilar and his team Take a very Silicon Valley approach, which is move fast, break things. And the things that they're breaking is the theatrical window. And they just go, screw it. The thing that we need to focus on building in 2021, this opportunity that we have, and the keyword being the opportunity, is to scale HBO Max to a level that we have not seen yet, that we could not see. And we're going to do that through bringing in these t- these big, big new movies, and we're going to release them directly on HBO Max, same day they're in theaters. And that is a massive gamble that has repercussions throughout the industry. But for Warner Media, it's the, really, you know, I wrote this in a piece over at, at The Verge, it's It's not an easy decision, but it is the simplest decision. It is that Mm -hmm. we are going to try and focus on the one thing that we're invested in growing that's only really in the United States, a few other countries, but really only the United States. And we're going to do that in 2021 and see what happens in 2022.
0: Do you you see kind of a coherent strategy here with with their content, Uh, kind of stepping back just to their general strategy? Like, do you see a a coherent strategy forming or do you still get the sense that this is very reactive?
1: Part of it is definitely it's a really great question. Part of it is definitely reactive. They would not have. Well, they would not have done this in 2021, 2022, 2023. I think the. Um, from a business perspective, and I'm using this the, that word "keyly" because the next phrase sounds totally dystopian. The <laughs> beauty of the pandemic, uh, that's the dystopian <laughs> phrase, the beauty of the pandemic from a business perspective is that it has accelerated trends that would have taken five to 10 years and we are now mm. seeing them in six to 10 months. And it's just things that would have happened regardless once we got there are happening now. One of the things that would have gotten there is this idea of same-day simultaneous release on the major streamers that are owned by the studios. Uh, Because that makes sense for them. It makes sense to give people the option. If they would rather stay home and stream... They can do that for, you know, 20 bucks or the way HBO max does it right now is like for free, but you got to sign up and they'll figure stuff out that way. Disney tends to do, if it's a big enough title, you're going to pay 30 bucks for Milan for Ryan, the last dragon. And you can have it. Other movies will just be free as part of Disney plus. Um, it makes sense for them. It's like, well, this is the thing we want to grow. This is uh, a recurring revenue, which is the the top trend everybody's going after, this idea of every month you're going to have something uh, coming in while also releasing in theaters. I think the strategy that they have makes sense for a streaming-focused company, which Warner Media has specifically said again and again and publicly. They want to be. They want to be a company that wants HBO Max to be a Netflix, to be a Disney Plus. And to put that into perspective, Netflix has probably at this point, they were close to it a month ago, so I'm sure by now, uh, more than 200 million global subscribers. Amazon mm. Prime Video is probably up there, too. We don't really know because they're part of Amazon Prime and they just get looped in. Disney Plus is closing in. You know, they're they're at about 90 million subscribers as of a, few weeks, a couple weeks ago, probably closed in on 100 million in about a month or two. They get some more stuff on there. Um, that, those are huge numbers. To so put that into perspective, HBO Max has 8.4... Oh, sorry, 12.6 million activations. So that means oh, those are the active users and they have about 20 million more that could upgrade and they're just not. They have a bit of a problem. They have a problem with that. Nobody knows what this is. Nobody knows why they need it. $15 is a high price point. So how do you get people in if they're not going to the movies and you're generating revenue that way? How do you mm-hmm. get people into HBO Max? You take your movies, you put them on HBO Max, you lower the price a little bit. Right now it's a bit of a discount. And you say, hey, come and sign up because once you're here, you'll see our library is great. And it is. So it's a great strategy from this perspective, but it's also entirely reactionary. Because this is something they would have done in five to 10 years that they are now forced to do in six to you know 12 months.
0: Interesting. All right, one more uh, Warner Media question. Uh, they just sold, uh, release agreed to sale, um, Crunchyroll over at mm-hmm. Sony. Uh, do you think we're we're going to see more of these kind of property sales uh, that don't fully align with their their content strategy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I was a big fan of Crunchyroll uh, in, in part because uh, this podcast, parks a of Fanbite in general, which has gotten me into uh, anime more than I would like to.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you <laughs> yeah. so much. Yeah, we got a bunch of uh, bunch of real anime perverts over here. A bunch so of huge
1: anime perverts who uh, every <laughs> time I listen or I read, I'm like, well, now you've hooked me. Now I'm going to watch this <laughs> anime. I don't have time for it, but I'm going to watch oh, our,
0: it. Our, our legacy. Thank you.
1: <laughs> uh, But yeah, you're definitely – going to see more of it there's warner media who's owned by at&t which is a company that a lot of people have strong feelings about um <laughs> is owned by at&t and t when they were acquired, to put this into a brief TLDR perspective, Warner Media, over the course of the last six years, spent close to $200 billion on two major things. They bought DirecTV, satellite service that no one uses anymore, basically, <laughs> and Time Warner, which became Warner, Warner Media. And they spent about, uh, I believe it was like 89, but then when you take into account a bunch of debt, it's like works out to be like $100 billion. They spent mm. it on that. Their thing to their shareholders and very nervous investors was we think that vertical integration is the key to our future and such. We are going to develop HBO Max because this will also help with our phone and Internet service because people will get the phone Internet, will integrate HBO Max, or they get HBO Max, will integrate the phone. They'll figure it out. That is a a, a, it's a strategy that is largely contested by very smart people, much smarter than I am. But what they have to do is prove that HBO Max is paying off for them while paying down about 150 billion dollars worth of debt, which is uh, an insane, not million, billion, 150 billion dollars <laughs> in debt. Um, so God. what they're going to start to do is what they should do is realize that we acquired part of these things as we acquired Warner Media. Uh, part of that is Crunchyroll. There are rumors about CNN being sold off, and they're going to divest. They're going to be like, we don't need this to grow our specific thing. So we're going to get rid of it to companies that want it. And it's a great deal for Sony. You know, Sony owns Funimation. They bought Crunchyroll. And now they kind of own the, the Western market yeah. uh, with anime, which is a a, a budding uh, niche. But it's growing industry. And it's a it's growing interest. And it's something that Netflix wants in on. It's something that everyone else is trying to figure out. And now Sony kind of owns it. And they can license it. They can run it through Funimation. They can do whatever they want with it. Um It's a smart play for them. And it's also a smart play for Warner because they're going to come out and go, we are paying down our debt. HBO Max is growing. So we've got these big movies on it and we're going to throw this into stuff that we want. And stuff that they want is like DC, right? They look at Marvel and they're like, well, Disney was able to, you know, do this $24 billion at the box office, 30 billion plus in merchandising uh, industry. We can do that with Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and Joker. Uh, And they can't. And so they will just start focusing their attention there and they're like you know what we'd like crunchyroll it's got three million paying subs it's got a huge community but we think we can sell it for close to two billion dollars and we can and we did and we can pay off a bit of debt and look into other other resources so i think you're going to see much more warner media uh divesting an atat coming together and be like we should get rid of this in the future i mean it might take some time especially in a A world where antitrust among huge tech and media conglomerates is now under a magnifying glass from congress but it's something that they're definitely going to want to get rid of the next thing they'll get rid of is probably direct tv like they bought it for you know 60 billion or just under that and they'll sell it for 30 billion and it's a huge loss for them but they'll get rid of it and be able to pay down a little bit of debt and they'll kind of keep going in that direction so yeah you'll start seeing a lot more of it i think in the next few you know three to six seven years
0: Super interesting. All right. Let's talk about the other elephant in the room. Uh, And I don't mean Dumbo. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was really dumb. I don't know why I did that. Uh, Let's talk about Disney. Uh, Another thing you're very passionate about. Um, They've had a big week. They had a four hour presentation (laughs) to talk about their future, which uh, was completely buck wild. I'm going to guess you watched every single minute of it.
1: Yeah, they had uh, an insane week, big week for uh, Julia owns a Disney newsletter, (laughs) Alexander. Uh, It's a
0: really big week. Yeah, (laughs)
1: just huge week. I mean, I wrote a a story about this and on The Verge and and the headline or not the headline, excuse me, but the um, a key sentence in it, which I think speaks to Disney and we'll get into the news is like, Disney, you know, they can do this because they're Disney and they're Disney because they can do this. Um, and so for those who were not on on Twitter or just not uh, aware, Disney announced uh, about 52 things in the span of four hours uh, last week. They announced um, they were doing, you know, a bunch of Star Wars things, a bunch of Marvel, a bunch of Pixar, a bunch of Disney live action, Disney animated. They went through everything, a bunch of Hulu, National Geographic. They just went through everything they owned and were like, we're doing new things here they announced that they're increasing their content budget in a few years to nine billion dollars a year in content for streaming. They're, they 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 announced that they were going to increase different bundles. They're integrating ESPN into who they're they're figuring out. How to announce, essentially, that they are a streaming-focused company. That the, everything mm-hmm. they're doing is now coming with a streaming-first agenda. And uh, so the headline for the piece that I wrote, which I think is still true, is Disney has finally revealed Disney+. Plus. We we, yeah. we got an idea of it in 2019 when they launched in November. We got an idea of what this could be. The library, Mandalorian, a high school musical show. Got an idea of it. And this presentation uh, was uh definitive... Here's what we're gonna do with the close to hundred billion dollars we spent on the things that we've bought, and we're doing this because we're Disney, and we're Disney because we can do this.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a, a really, really, really big. Uh, it's series very of empire. It's
1: very like, I yeah. mean, if they're if there's they own Star Wars and they are the empire of the, of the
0: media. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, but but it really did. It, you know, you made this point in in your newsletter as well, is that it really seems like. Um, you know, Warner is doing a lot of these things because it kind of has to, and Disney is doing this because it can. And this is exactly what you said. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, we've obviously seen record layoffs from Disney this year in its parks department. And it seems like they're leaning all the way into um, investing, you know, whatever it's saving in those ways into uh, the streaming service. Well, it's, it's
1: so interesting, too, because uh, the parks uh, it's, it's for a long time it, it has been up until this year. It was Disney's uh, safe. Rep. Yeah, it was their biggest right. business. And it was safe. It was like every year we're going to generate like $20 billion. Like it's going to generate money because people right. want to go and hang out at Disney Disney with their kids or, or or like Disney teens, Disney adults, whoever just want to go to Disney World. Um, and now it is kind of this thing where, you know, it, Disney Plus in, in part, not in a huge part, but there was like a, you know, three, four percent part of it was designed to sell disney things right you watch mandalorian great you want a, a a baby yoda plush or sorry a grogu plush like you want <laughs> you want a plush you want to go to you want you're watching a marvel show hey did you know we're opening avengers campus in disneyland like you can go there and it's pretty great um so like i mean they've crossed energy, and but the devastating part of disney this year that more people should be talking about including myself and we don't because we're so focused on these spectacle events uh and i include myself in this that are these huge star wars announcements and disney and marvel announcements and whatever they're doing is like more than thirty thousand people have lost their jobs because they can't open the parks and on what or they can't run the parks the way they need to and that is itself devastating at a point when job losses are higher than we even predicted and we're entering a, a terrible financial period that we've been in but you know the other part of that is there's been in my opinion, and I've read about this in the newsletter, so I have no problem saying it, it's like reckless leadership from Disney executives who will fight with you know, California Governor Gavin Newsom and be like, we should be able to open our parks at a time when cases are surging and hospital beds and ICUs are just overflowing. And it's like, no, you shouldn't. And that is the more important <laughs> Disney story. Like That is like the yeah. human Disney story that plays into a global pandemic that is happening. Um, and at the same time, It's impossible to ignore that Disney is going to – that its stock is so high up because they can come out and say, hey, we bought Marvel, we bought Star Wars here, 10 new shows every single year. And it's like that's impossible to ignore.
0: Yeah. Speaking of uh, Disney execs, uh, Bob Chappick took over in February, I believe, from Bob Iger. Yeah. How would you grade grade his first, I don't know, (laughs) 10 or so months? (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: a really good question. God, I never thought – that's a really good question. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's a good newsletter prompt, John. Thanks. I'll give you a shout
0: yeah, out for that. Yeah, awesome. That's perfect.
1: Give a fan fanbite and John straight shout out. Uh, <laughs> you know what? It's hard to judge because he came into this when it was like Disney was on yeah, top. I mean,
0: I mean, how pissed do you think he was <laughs> just like two weeks into his job? He's like. Oh, man, this is, this is so much <laughs> worse than I realized. OK, he, he had
1: a couple of things going against him. One was Bob Iger is, is like easily one of the best CEOs in terms of a business sense. I, he's probably done some things that we shouldn't best include. shouldn't include the word best near. But sure. Uh, who knows? Maybe. Please don't sue me. I don't know what he <laughs> what he's done or what he has not done. I'm just assuming. Um, but. In terms of CEOs, in terms of business leadership, in terms of growth at a company, he's done, he's one of the best CEOs in the last, you know, 20 years of American, um, last really 50 years of American business, but... So that was one thing Bob Chapek had going against him was he was coming off after this legendary beloved guy. Like, like Bob Iger was a CEO who was beloved by the business community, beloved by investors, beloved by shareholders, which you would expect, but also like beloved by Disney fans. Like they just loved Bob Iger, which is yeah. the, the thing that the comparable thing really is Steve Jobs and Apple. It's like they just love Steve Jobs. This, this guy who's running a multi-billion dollar, in Apple's case now trillion dollar organization, uh, like, they, you don't need to beloved your CEOs, but people really do. They really love oh, yeah. kind of Bob Iger. And so he had that kind of against him. Then, yeah, he had a pandemic. And I honestly think he's done. A decent job. He's doing some moves that are interesting but are not unusual. So uh the business like Disney streaming division, which is now it's arguably its its a biggest business that they're investing in going forward, is being led by a bunch of parks people because Bob Chapek came from Parks. You know, the old school Disney streaming team kind of left with Iger to an extent. I mean, Bob Iger still there is executive chairman, but kind of left with him being CEO. Kevin Mayer went to TikTok when he didn't get the gig. Um, and he then left TikTok and now he's doing strategy, uh, consultancy stuff. Um, Agnes Chu, who was head of Disney plus original content left to go to Condé Nast. Um, and so there, the, 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 streaming team is kind of leaving, you know, the exception being Michael Paul, who kind of headed up, uh, uh, BAM tech, which Disney acquired to build its streaming services on. He's kind of their soul. So it's head of pro- head of uh product and, and stuff, but mm-hmm. he's doing the best that he can. And I think I think when he, I think he's doing a decent job. I think he needs to chill out on being like, we need to open our parks. Like, I get it. You need to make money, and, and I also get it. There are thirty more than thirty thousand people who need those jobs. Um, and I wrote a, a newsletter issue about this. I, like, it's a very complicated. There's no right answer, and I think a lot about a New York Times article, which was basically like, at some point, you you have to flip the switch and be like, the economy is now an importance to us because if we're going to get past this, we need to be able to survive past this. But also, that is the most devastating thing to ever say because it's like you're going to kill humans. Like, where is that right. line? I don't know it. I And I'm glad I'm not being paid to figure that out because I, I don't know <laughs> right. what it is. But that line e- exists. Um, <laughs> Capitalism is bad. But uh, <laughs> but so he's at a point where he's like, I got to get up in the parks. I got 30,000 unemployed people. Like, you know, our business is struggling. We got to get it done. And at the same time, he's he manages to, to to navigate that while also being like, hey, we're going all in on streaming. Here's the t- things that we're doing. Here's the exciting projects we got. Here's how we're going to grow Disney Plus. I th- I would argue exponentially in 2021 because they have enough back to back to back series between Star Wars, Marvel, and Pixar and Disney live yeah. action that plus movies that's going to be easy to bring in people who are not already on the site. The way that Hamilton did um, in June or July in July. Um, which is a long rambly roundabout way of saying, I'm sorry, whoever's listening, I rant, I rant a uh, long no, rambly good. way of saying that he's doing as well as he can for a CEO in a capitalistic uh, structure <laughs> uh, uh, under unprecedented, uh, in pre- unprecedented times. And um, we'll see how things, you know, look once, hopefully soon. We're in a post pandemic world, but who knows? Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, you wrote this week about how this has been a year without Marvel, which I think has been obviously there are bigger problems in yeah. the world right now. But I it's I'd be lying if I said it, it didn't. It, I didn't notice it, too. You know, like this is one of those things that for the past uh, decade, uh, we were able to kind of hang our hats on as, OK, we would get at least one Marvel property uh, a year. Um. <sighs> I guess, you know, speak to that for like a moment, but also mm, mm. what's going on with phase four to in to your mind? Like, mm. I know there are a lot of shows and and delayed movies, but, you know, kind of like a coherent content strategy question in, in the Warner section. Like, yeah, what do you see? What do you see unfolding here?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and I also very much appreciate you, John, for letting me bring up this article. Uh, You're article, welcome. understandably, I want to make that clear. Understandably, got dunked on. I get it. I totally get it. Uh, for especially a lot of people who didn't read it, saw the headline and, and or the tweet and dunked it's on sure. it, which right. I,
0: which get. which which is what most people do. Yeah, so. which is the internet. <laughs>
1: um, but to to your point, I wrote about. Um, for me, a year without this kind of uh, – a year without Marvel movies. And for me, it translated into the absence of excitement, this this absence sure. of, like, a thing that you experience as part of a community. And in the piece I write, like, if for me, it's Marvel. For others, it might be concerts. It might be, uh, in some cities, some yes. states, church. It might be sports games. It might be – but just this thing that you have this, this juvenile – uh, a beautiful thing that you just get excited about because it translates into a few weeks of like fun discourse with your friends and the internet. And, yep. it's a, and I tweet, I tweeted about it today, I literally was like, we're kind of getting it with Tenet now that Tenet's out and people are watching <laughs> it.
0: I, I just I just watched it this week and it, bro- <laughs> and it broke me in several ways. But yeah, yeah. Did it break yeah, you're you right, trying to great. figure
1: out the time travel? Because I'm still broken from
0: it. it. T- t- here, Julia, I'll, t- I'll tell you the really quickly the part that broke me. And, I, and this is not a huge spoiler, I don't think. But it's like. Uh, one character looked at another character and basically explained that if you reverse the entropy of the entire world, it will kill everyone that, that has ever lived. And that character looked at that person dead in the eye and said, even my son? <laughs> I was like – <laughs> did, you hear, I was, did you hear anything that that person just said it's everyone that's ever lived and your question is even my son as if we have to like recontextualize that character's motivations every single second like we don't have the the, the capacity to remember anything Um, and that, that movie broke me but that's the part that broke me the most which is weird because most people are like I oh, don't get how time works but it's like no it was that one scene for me that broke me
1: love a good so, anyway. Chris Nolan movie where the act is great ironically in this movie because he's been bad at it in the past the, the fight sequences are stellar and then it's just like Derailed, you get to the, you yeah. get to the narrative and it's like ah the Christopher Nolan. i don't movie. know
0: I, <laughs> I don't know how he did it i was thinking about that i was like now we're getting totally off topic but but uh but this is but i i, I was like i was like i don't understand how he did this which is you know when i watch like the making of uh inception or whatever and they have the rotating room and i'm like okay i get that uh Yeah, I can I could thrash actors around a, a, a set all day. That sounds like fun. This one, I'm like, I don't know how they did that, but that's wild. So that's but, cool. But this
1: is exactly like our conversation we're having right now times a billion since the Internet Sure, is, is what I missed.
0: It was this like. Oh, no, like like when Game came out, that was that was fucking yes. wild. Yes. That was great. Like that was that was a really good time. And, and a bunch of us. You know, had a good time dunking on aspects of it, but also realizing that, you know, the cap with the hammer was like the coolest thing we'd ever seen. You know, it's like that was great. And I was
1: someone I was someone who did twice because I did it again just for fun. Uh, I did uh, 60 hour marathons, which is the entire MCU. We watch it and it leads up to endgame. You watch endgame. And I did that in the theater and I was like sleeping on floor and there was like popcorn in my shirt that was not mine. Uh, And it was just like. (laughs) This moment of like, and you know, if, if anyone's ever done a Marvel marathon or a Star Wars marathon, like Star Wars, they clap when it's like the fanfare comes on Marvel, they clap when it's like Stan Lee, or the Marvel kind of yeah. fanfare. And it's, um, I missed that. And so I wrote this piece that was kind of and this translates into your next question, which is like, I missed that excitement, and when I was watching this Disney event, which can only be described as like a, a, a San Diego Comic Con Hall H panel combined with an Apple keynote, in the span of two and a half hours, they really got to the juicy stuff. Um, that excitement returned. I was like, "Oh man, this is like I you know I was watching people live react or E three you know an E three uh, uh keynote. Sure, and I'm watching things or Nintendo Direct. Really, I'm watching Twitter gets so excited about the idea of like this Loki show, which looks badass or this, or, or Patty Jenkins directing a Star Wars movie, which is like the first female director on a major uh, Star Wars um, film. And it's like, that's what I miss. And I think, you know, so to your next question, what is the future of Marvel? What is phase four? It's an integration of um, Disney plus and Marvel. So what they'll do is they'll play into it. Uh, we know when we know WandaVision plays into dr strange in the multiverse of madness we know dr strange plays into the the third spider-man movie coming out we know that um uh or there's rumors i'm sorry we don't know but there's rumors that black widow um one of the characters from black widow plays into falcon and winter soldier i believe it was either that mm-hmm. or hawkeye so that's what they're gonna do. They're gonna it's 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 ironically what bankrupted Marvel Comics in the '90s almost is like <laughs> these like intricate storylines are gonna get a bit more. But what they'll do is under Kevin Feige's very good, you know, jurisdiction, they won't make it so it's like you have to watch this thing, you have to understand sure. what you're doing here. Uh, this one sequence to understand this scene in a show but they'll do you know a little bit of Mar- agents of shield they'll bring people in they'll be like this thing kind of correlates to this thing you should go and watch it and then you're in this then you're in the system right and it's it's beautiful cuz it's what we just saw with the mandalorian where like everyone was watching the mandalorian and then a bunch of people myself included st- finally started watching clone wars and rebels cuz they were right. like there's so many references to Ahsoka, tano and, and yep. other people that i'm like i am just going to need to watch clone wars like i got to get through it i've been putting it off for too long anyways um, and now I'm like mid-deep in Clone Wars and it's great. But it's like that is what they will do with Marvel. And I it, it, it's a a beautiful thing of what they can do. Like they can be like, hey, we know people are excited about this. We can just throw them in and people are going to show up and watch. We're kind of in this beautiful transitionary period of of the Marvel Cinematic Universe on, the, on TV where the characters that are going with have to be these characters because they have to tie into the MCU. Like you have to have Falcon, Winter Soldier, right. Wanda, Vision, Hawkeye. Because it, at least it ties into Cap and Tony, which people care about. Like that's and that's what they want. They want like, how does this tie into my Civil War, End Game, Infinity War love? So they bring these characters out. Then once you're into the shows, they can go, okay, now we're gonna do She Hulk, we're gonna do Moon Knight, we're gonna do a bunch of lesser known characters. But you're in it the way that you got into the MCU by the end by the at first Avengers, and now you'll watch a Thor movie, a Doctor Strange movie, an Ant Man movie, uh, or not Thor, but you'll watch an Ant Man Doctor Strange movie. Um... And so they're just doing that with the TV side. And it's it's going to take a couple of years for them to really hit their ground the way that they did with the MCU, but they will get there. And it's like that's the beauty of their power and also the absolute terrifying monopolization of their power. It's it's a combination of both. It's like, again, they're Disney because they can do this and they can do this because they're Disney. Like they have it planned out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. They, they – Kevin Feige, I will say uh, to your point about – Being able to see these things standalone, I really, really, really didn't realize how easy it is to jump into a movie I haven't seen in 10 years from the MCU and not really remember all the context of everything going around it. And that's going to be a really underrated aspect of that entire first uh, slate of films, I think, years from now. Like, uh, people don't realize how good that was, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Julia, you filled in a ton of blanks for me today. I really appreciate it. You've, uh, I I hope, inspired our listeners to uh, perhaps sign up for a newsletter that you write that is very, very good and talks about the stuff a lot. Do you want to talk about that for a second?
1: Yeah. So the newsletter uh, was um, something I started because my poor colleagues on Slack <laughs> were tired of me <laughs> dropping in. Uh essentially what this conversation has been, this I've really enjoyed this conversation, uh, what this combo has been. I would job things in a Slack where I was like, let's figure out Disney strategy. And my bosses would be like, they pay people <laughs> at Disney to do that. And I was like, I know, but I want to do it too. And, and so I, I would have a lot of conversations with a lot of um, analysts who I value a lot, a lot of executives of these companies and kind of be like, well, why why would you do it this way? Or why are you doing this this way? And what I try to do is take the numbers they give me because they give me a lot of charts like here's a chart to explain it or here's data points and i try to write that for an audience of what i consider myself to be which is just an enthusiast of media and, and entertainment sure. and so i will write about disney every week sometimes we'll bring in others if it relates to it like last week we did a disney and warner media um, app, app, um essay because it was just they were both doing similar things but different to so kind of combine them um but the idea is to write about this for people who open up a switch on their TV every day and kind of go, why am I paying $8 a soon to be, I should say $8 for Disney plus. Why am I paying 15 dollars for HBO max? Why is this not on Roku? Oh, why is uh you know, great, a great example of a story that we love to do with the version. And I, and I love to do it in the newsletter is uh you signed up for HBO max. Cause they promised you Harry Potter. Now you can't stream Harry Potter anywhere. Well, what oh, is windowing? Yeah. What is licensing? Like, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Um, And write that in a way which uh, is just fun. It's just like this is a fun thing to think about. It's like a fun like you're going to hopefully, I hope, walk away from a situation and feel like I know a little bit more about the industry without having to ramble off like data points uh, that analysts who I love dearly love to do um yeah and so that's kind of the you know it's called musings on mouse it comes out every monday morning uh it's just kind of a usually there's a breakdown of other things that happen in disney we go through studios streaming media networks which is like fx and espn and then parks uh but yeah there's always a bit of an essay and just um yeah if you like this conversation you'll probably like the newsletter (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah for sure. Um it's one of a I can I can count on one hand the number of newsletters I read every week. It is a growing uh trend for media folks to have one and Julia's is one of the best. So you should go check that out at Musings on Mouse. It's over on Substack. Um Julia, where else can we uh, find you online?
1: Uh, I am on uh so I write mainly on the verge.com. Uh, uh, I'm also on twitter at loudmouth julia and uh god that i
0: hope that's it (laughs)
1: it. That
0: that is it all right well julia thank you so much for hanging out and talking about disney and warner today um and yeah i hope you have a good rest of your 2020
1: you too john stay safe
0: Final Fantasy 7's Bad Boy Sephiroth was revealed at last week's Game Awards as the next Super Smash Bros. Ultimate playable character. and On Thursday, Game Director Masahiro Sakurai showed off the character in a pre-recorded video move set seems pretty cool, and along with his arrival comes some new Final Fantasy VII music in the game, as well as a stage where players fly around the spoilerific northern crater from the original Final Fantasy VII. You'll be able to grab Sephiroth on December 22nd for $5.99 or as part of the Fighters Pass Volume 2, which includes Steve from Minecraft and Min Min from ARMS, as well as three unannounced fighters to come for $29.99. Uh, To play up the feeling that Sephiroth is a big bad boss type, you can actually buy the DLC now and unlock Sephiroth before the 22nd if you beat him in a special mode Nintendo built just for him. You can go do that right now until the 22nd if you want to get an early jump on the character. Uh, Finally, Riot is in the news for a couple things this week. At the Game Awards, the first full trailer for Ruined King, a League of Legends story was shown. Eagle-eyed viewers such as myself uh, noted the similarity between combat in this tactical RPG and another RPG from a few years ago called Battle Chasers Night War, a criminally underrated game from developer Airship Syndicate. Well. Airship Syndicate is the dev behind Ruin King 2, so joke's on me for missing that announcement from a year ago. The game itself looks colorful and interesting, and if the battle system is even remotely similar in gameplay as it is in appearance to Night War, I think we're in for a good one. The bigger news, perhaps, uh, was the reveal on Thursday that Riot Games is working on an MMO set in the Rune Terror world of League of Legends. The announcement was made, of all places, on Twitter.com, where Vice President of IP for Riot Games Greg Street says he's helping expand the League of Legends universe with a, quote, massive project fans have been asking for. A Twitter user asked the obvious question, and Street confirmed that the project is a massively multiplayer online game. Street himself was a lead designer on World of Warcraft for five years, so he has experience in this realm. There is no timetable for the MMO, but this is just the latest in the aggressive effort Riot has made over the past couple years to turn Riot Game into Riot Games. that is going to do it for this week's episode thanks so much for your patience with this one being a little late i hope it was worth it i want to thank julia alexander for her time and expertise that was a lovely conversation we have a lot of great podcasts on our network. You can check all of them out at fanbyte.com slash podcasts. We have a wonderful Discord server as well, which you can visit at fanbyte.casa. Stay a while. Uh, our Game of the Year coverage begins next week and lasts until January 1st, so get ready for all of that in written and audio formats. Until next week, y'all take it easy. うん。